Yeah, I am Pastor Ed, and in light of Pastor Derek's down in Southern California with his family, uh, Amy's grandmother passed away about three weeks ago, and they asked that uh, Derek would come and do the service, and that was accomplished. It was either Friday or Saturday, but uh, mission accomplished. They're there through the weekend. He'll be back tomorrow uh, in the office, at least maybe even tomorrow, but he's back tomorrow, back tomorrow in the state of Oregon. I'm not sure about in the office. Okay, so I'm uh, one of the pastors, always happy to fill in for him when uh, the opportunity presents itself. We are in a series called More Than a Building, More Than a Building, and we're right in the middle part of it, and we're dealing with this metaphor that describes the church. Paul uses this metaphor of the body. Uh, the, the church uh, you know, is such a new entity, certainly not to us, because culturally we were raised in it, but uh, in that first century culture. And so they were trying to portray and picture exactly what is this entity, th this assembly that we call the church. And so he uses the metaphor body. But there are other metaphors that Scripture uses to describe uh, the operations, the purpose of the church, such as flock, branches, temple, kingdom of priests, the bride of Christ, and an army. Okay, we are focusing, though, three sessions. The first one was last week where Christ is the head of the church, the head of the body. Christ is the head. Today, we're going to be looking at unity, the importance of unity. I, I think the reason, you know, we want to camp here on body is because we may not, you may not be able to re relate to a flock or some of us, maybe even an army, a little bit more an army, but certainly not a priest. But my, oh my, the body? We're talking about human body. Can you relate to a human body? Do you have any firsthand experience with a human body? Yeah, your own, your own. So it's a powerful teaching tool. He uses uh, metaphors because, uh, you know, I, I see it. He wants the truth, the reality of the metaphor, the spiritual substance to sink down a couple of layers. We tend to have different layers within us, and we keep some things at, at arm's length away. Uh, sometimes a metaphor is a, a vice used in education, certainly spiritually, to, to try and get at, at deeper levels. And so he uses this metaphor of the body that we can all relate to throughout humanity. And he uses the Corinthian church because it was very dysfunctional. It was in an affluent uh, geographical location that was the main th thoroughfare for travel and exportation of goods. Uh, it served a lot of advantageous adventures. So culturally, very affluent in a good position. But notice here that uh, what happens out there culturally doesn't necessarily translate itself to a healthy insight. In fact, I think you could see, certainly from the Corinthians, often just the opposite. Often it's how what happens out there in culture, how we bring it in and project it and impose it within the church is counterproductive. It's, uh, it's contrary to God's values, and we have to be aware of that and fight against it. And so this Corinthian church was laced with um, divisions and conflicts. And we're going to talk a little about those. We want to learn what can we learn from the Corinthian church to do and not to do because within the Corinthian church, he uses the body to bring to the surface the value of diversity or different. 
diversity, but one, unity. So really, this morning, we're going to be talking about unity. And I'm going to be, with my mind, I'm thinking unity in the church, but everything I talk about could be talking, uh, uh, you could apply to unity in your family. You could talk about unity in a work environment. Uh, these principles that I'm going to be applying to us here as a church family are, can be applied in other settings as well. And so we're going to look at unity. I'm going to focus on unity, and I'm going to let Derek, when he's back next week, deal with diversity. Diversity. Even though what you'll discover is there's a great deal of overlap. Uh, so, uh, fighting for unity in the body. We're looking at 1 Corinthians 12. And I decided to use this phrase, fighting for unity in the body. You may think it's kind of counterintuitive. It's kind of contrary, the idea of fighting and unity. But uh, I believe that's exactly what has to happen to maintain unity. A fight has to happen. And I'll explain that more, especially when we get into the practical application, um, you know, what, why I say so. But first here, with 1 Corinthians 12, 12, verse 12, uh, pull out your scriptures, find something, uh, app, device, whatever. Uh, and like Derek says, we want to become students of the word and not just to uh, accumulate knowledge, but for application that we would increasingly, not only individually, but how we work together as a unit, uh, reflect God's glory. So this morning, we're going to look at the formation of the body, how it came to be, because I think that's the basis uh, uh, to, to try to motivate yourself to work towards unity, because typically when there is um, conflict, uh, an issue that tends to put a wall up, Unity may be the last thing you want because your emotions often at that point are driving you in your decision making. So you got to have something that is a counterbalance that transcends your emotional state, some of your personal preference that is a more of a driving force than what your emotions are dictating to you. Uh, that's the formation, Un understanding some biblical truth. Being able to go back to these uh, biblical underpinnings to, to try to um, respond appropriately. So that's going to be the formation. Then we'll get to the practical, the, the function, God's intention for this organism that we call the church. And again, church, ecclesia in the New Testament just means an assembly of people called out for a common purpose. It was a secular word. They could be called out for any reason. Like I mentioned, an unruly mob there in Acts was called out. Ecclesia, but for us as followers of Jesus Christ, when we uh, use the term church, we're talking about those who made a commitment to Jesus Christ. They're being called out of the world to be followers of God through Jesus Christ. That's the church, that conglomeration of people that have been called out for that purpose. Uh, you know, sometimes we lose the significance of terms like unity. And it's a, maybe it's a popular word. I want to try another word that expresses uh, that maybe be more helpful to you. 
At the same time, I invite you, you know, biblical scholars to do your research and study, and you can come back and say, no, I, I oppose that word. The word I have, integration. Integration. The idea of integrating something, there is a myriad of components and parts. They're all out there, and each one has to come together and be integrated into a whole, a unit, one for a productive, successful, for it to operate as it was designed. Each one individually cannot serve that purpose, but it's only as it is integrated. You know, the only thing I heard that some people uh, hesitated with integration, they, they, they're afraid, you know, to equate unity and integration. Uh, well, you're going to integrate some of the uh, ideas of the world and integrate them into the church. Okay, that's always a danger. That's not what I'm talking about. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. But, um, so, and I think as we reflect on the body a little bit later, you go, okay, I, I see why Pastor Ed likes that terminology. Uh, so we're understanding the formation of the body. How was the body formed? First um, Corinthians 12, 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, okay, just one body. The body is one and has many members. Now, notice what he does. He turns right around and reverses the order, but says the exact same thing. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body. I got it. One body, many parts. One body, many parts. Uh, this message is dominating the whole scriptures of 1 Corinthians. It's like uh, the, the division and the conflict within the Corinthian church was so deep that it's as though Paul can't say it enough in hopes to crack the walls that keeps these dividing walls up. Uh, look at uh, 1 Corinthians 12 verse 4 and we'll see a litany expressed a little differently but the same thing. Verse 4, there are a variety of gifts, but one spirit, the same spirit. There are a variety of services, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but it's the same God. Drop down to verse 9. Verse 9, to another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, works of miracles. And it goes on and on. And then at verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. Uh, boy, this is an ongoing uh, repetition of many parts, diversity, differentness, but one. Why? That's how stubborn we are. That's how stubborn the Corinthian church. Uh, don't lose sight of amongst this diversity, because sometimes it will irritate you, sometimes it will drive you up a wall, but don't lose sight of Christ is head of the church. Don't lose sight. The importance of uh, this message pervades this whole writing of 1 Corinthians by the Apostle Paul. It's important. It's important. It's important especially important 
especially when those emotions are overwhelming you and it prompts you to uh, maybe to construct a wall, a division, especially then to rehearse some theological truth that will help rein in some of those emotions and, and help you despite that to still do the right thing. This is exactly when the fight for unity must take place. Right here. Many parts, one body. Many, but one. Verse 12 goes on. This little phrase, so it is with Christ. See that little phrase at the very end of verse 12? So it is with many parts, but one body. So it is with Christ. See, God sent Jesus Christ down, and he occupied a human body. We call it the incarnation. He dwelt in the flesh. He was amongst us. He occupied a body just like you and I do. He was crucified. He was resurrected, we believe, bodily. He continued to occupy this body, his body, a new, imperishable, a eternal body. His disciples, we read, after the resurrection, they recognized him, they talked with him, he ate with the disciples. When he rose, he rose bodily, his disciples recognized him, and the angels told him, in the same way that he has gone up, he's going to return again. And now he sits at the right hand of God. One Christ, one Christ, one Christ, who's sitting at the right hand of God, the Father. And at the same time, this one Christ, we read in Scripture, occupies his body, the church. It's like when Jesus Christ is going up bodily, his ascension in, into heaven, when he's going up, at that same time, he begins, he launches a new body. One Christ that he occupies here in this assembly of people. Christ being in our midst. For Christ, uh, uh, this body here is as personal as what you may think of your physical body, uh, uh, this collection of people and his presence with us. If you remember uh, the Apostle Paul right after the planting of the church in its infancy, infancy uh, Paul was persecuting the church, uh, murderous uh, accusations, uh, jailing people. The scripture says he was ravaging the church. When he's intercepted on the road to Damascus in the bright light and the voice from heaven says, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? He doesn't say, why are you persecuting my church or the church? It's very personal because his presence is in the church. He occupies presence with us here. So it is with Christ. One Christ operating in multiple ways. He's an advocate at the right hand of God, our advocate if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but also he resides, he's alive in the church. Then we come to verse 13. 
For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Okay, what this is telling us, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, at that time, you were baptized into the spirit. Jesus Christ baptized you when you ask him to come in to be your Savior into his spirit. That placed you into his body. You're automatically then given membership into his body. This word baptism, it just merely means it was used there in the Greek culture that when they had a garment and they wanted to change its color, they would put dye in the water, they would take that garment and they would totally immerse it in the water and when they brought it out, the color of the garment was then identified with the dye that was in that bowl or that uh, water. It was totally immersed, so when it came out, it was totally identified with it. Likewise, when you receive Jesus Christ, you're baptized in the Spirit. He comes in. You are now to be identified with Christ and his Spirit, and that puts you uh, in, into the church. And notice what we read here. In verse 13, for we in one spirit, we were all baptized. Talking spiritually, we have water baptism, which is symbolic to represent this. We were all baptized. Not some, not a select group, but everyone who's part of the church, God's church, has been baptized into the spirit. And notice it's past tense. We were at the moment that you received Jesus Christ. You know, our, our uh, faith here doesn't believe in a repetition of this prayer, that you have been saved, you have been baptized, you've been immersed in the Holy Spirit. It happened in the past. Now the issue is the fullness of the Holy Spirit, living out of it, living in sync with what God has already done inside. And then it tells us, because of this reason, this biblical foundation, there's now, uh, it says Jews or Greeks, slaves are free. No matter the cultural differences, rich or poor, skin color, whatever, culturally, the variety of differences is no more. All of those are into this body of Christ, it tells us. There is not an evangelical free church and assembly of God. There's not a Methodist and a Baptist church. You know, don't get me wrong. Those are, are uh, helpful uh, denominations that help us to communicate doctrine, core values, a little bit about the distinctives of that congregation of people in that locale, and it helps people then decide whether, okay, yeah, that resonates with me. I think I can make this my church home. That's helpful. But those are constructs that we have made. Scripture is telling us that when you receive Jesus Christ, it's then you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, and you now are a member of God's church. Some will call it the universal church. Some will call it the invisible church. That's what scripture is um, teaching us here with verse 13. So why fight for unity in the church? 
Well, here are the three things, well, four things. You know, God first, God formed the church. God is in the church. You receive Jesus Christ, you are a member of the church. And it's expected of members. But I think the bottom line answer, the bottom line answer for this whole series, more than a building, it's to glorify God. And I would say glorify God more accurately, more clearly, uh, more with a a soul-satisfying thirst that will speak volumes to a watching world. So let's look at function now, function of the body, where it really hits the nitty-gritty for us here. And uh, I I want you to see, uh, again, the idea of integrated. Look at this picture of the the human body, because I, I just want us to be mesmerized by it. Uh, not not that picture, but but I want us to be mesmerized by the functioning of our human body. You know, the, you're, you're sitting there, the, what's happening inside you, and there's always danger. I don't want you to get so self-conscious, all of a sudden uh, you think an organ's starting to fail you. Um, but yet, there's such incredible complexity that I went online, I forget what site it was, uh, retrieval, fact retriever. So I, I want to rehearse some things about your human body, mind to uh, mes- mesmerize you, to just overwhelm you with the complexity, the diversity. And these are just a, a few uh, concepts, such as um, for an adult human, taking just one step uses up to 200 muscles. Bone is five times stronger than a steel bar of the same width, but it is brittle and can fracture on impact. The brain contains 86 billion nerve cells joined by 100 trillion connections. This is more than the number of stars in the Milky Way. The lining in a person's stomach is replaced every four to five days to prevent it from digesting itself. There are so many nerve cells in a human brain that it would take almost 3,000 years to count them. An adult, of human, um, an adult human body is made up of seven octillion atoms. Generally, in textbooks, they list approximately 60,000 miles of blood vessels in the body of a child and roughly 100,000 miles in the body of an adult. The circumference of the Earth at the equator is approximately 25,000 miles. If all the blood vessels of an adult were placed end to end, the blood vessels would circle the equator four times. Your heart beats about 35 million times in a year. During an average lifetime, the human heart will beat more than 2.5 billion times. Your body has about six quarts of blood. This blood circulates through the body three times every minute. In one day, the blood travels a total of 12,000 miles. That's four times the distance across the U.S. from coast to coast. The heart pumps about one million barrels of blood during an average lifetime. That's enough to fill more than three super tankers. Well, you get the idea. I'm just trying to mesmerize you to get you on your heels going, wow. You know, I don't think about this very often. I did a funeral, and they asked me to preach from Psalms 139, and that says we are fearfully and wonderfully made you know, how complex we are, and and as I was doing a little research, and and I, especially the the miles of blood vessels, capillaries, you know, it's everything that we carry blood within, uh, within your body, I thought, that can't be right, that, no, 
Nah. So I looked again. And then I tripled and quadrupled, checked it out. Uh, and they verified. This is the metaphor that's being used here in Scripture, our human bodies, and, and the diversity and how this diversity, when it comes together and becomes integrated, what a marvelous creation. And he says, that's the way. The church, not just universal, but that now we're talking about the local church because this local church, what happens in here is a microcosm of the universal church. What happens in here, it's like the, the incarnation. This is where the church universal, the church invisible takes on flesh. This is what's going to speak to those outside of the church, not the universal church. You know, the universal church is a great idea. You know, it's a great concept, and we like the universal church. It reminds me, you know, we like it because you don't have to fight for unity in the church universal. You can just turn off the TV, or you can quit listening to that speaker, or, or whatever. Okay, it reminds me... Uh, um, uh, the fight for unity in the local church is hard. It reminds me of Connie and I when I was dating Connie years ago, years ago. And the differentness between Connie and I intrigued me. It was adventurous. It was fun. She was not raised in the church, so she introduced me. She was so different. She introduced me to some new things, you know, like, Tomatoes on pizza, blood, sweat, and tears. In case you younger folks don't know, that was a group back in the 60s or 70s. You know, just on that basis alone, me being a good Mennonite, I didn't think I could date her. I didn't think that was going to, you know, the, the, the chasm of differentness was so great between Connie and I, um, and I won't tell you other differences there. But uh, she also introduced me to agates, of course, and sisters. She had three sisters. I had all brothers, you know, two brothers. And so she introduced me to sisters. She introduced me to dogs, big dogs, German shepherds, ferocious dogs, dogs that will guard females whenever I came to date, you know. But, you know, it was fun. It, it was fun expanding my boundaries, uh, looking at life differently, um, and then something kind of weird happens. I don't know if it really happened at the five-year mark. Uh, often people say this tends to happen in a marriage at five years, where all of a sudden this differentness ceases to be as adventurous. You know, it, it's not quite as fun. Yeah, I wasn't quite as open to uh, receive it uh, as a way of expanding my boundaries and, and perspectives, you know. Now all of a sudden these differences became irritations. You know, these irritations would come in simple ways, you know, like uh, we driving in the car, we're going to go out to eat somewhere. Well, where do you want to eat? Uh, Althea's Tea Shop or the Rams Sports Bar? You, uh, shall we watch a basketball game on TV or a Hallmark movie? Shall we go on vacation to the coast or to the mountains? Uh, that spare room, honey, uh, should we turn that into my man cave? or a grandkid's playroom. All of a sudden, differentness, see, uh, that is where unity is forged. That is where you determine and find out whether you really have unity 
Up until that time, far as you know, you're just living on parallel tracks. There's never an intersection where you have to uh, determine, huh, am I willing to fight for unity? Am I willing to um, work for unity? So three lessons I want us to extract from the Corinthians church. Three lessons. Uh, to help us, that we can learn from them. The first one is be aware of your prejudices. We all have prejudices. We carry those prejudices. The issue isn't whether you have prejudices. The issue is whether you check them out for accuracy. Too often, they are just biases not based on on good information. Uh, Let's look real quick here at 1 Corinthians going back, uh, chapter 3. So we can understand and appreciate what's happening here in the Corinthians church. What's at root of their biases. Uh, Verse 1, I'll read fast so we can move ahead here. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. Grow up in how you see differentness. Grow up. Mature. Show the ability to fight for unity in a healthy way that brings about unity. Uh, Going on, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in human ways? You're worldly in the church. You're imposing uh, the way you operate and relate to people in conflict out there, and you're doing the same thing right in here. This should be different. Learn it in here so you can take it out there. Some of you say, uh, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Paulos. Are you not being merely human? Uh, Let me read you a commentary on what they're saying when they say, I follow Apollos, Paul, or Peter. We may be failing to note ethnic markers that Paul sprinkled all over the text. Apollos was noted as an Alexandrian Egyptian Jew, an Alexandrian Egyptian Jew. They had their own reputation. Paul notes that Peter is called by his Aramaic name, Cephas, suggesting the group that followed him spoke Aramaic and was thus Palestinian Jews. Paul's church had a diaspora, Jews that were spread out throughout the whole Israel there, but also many ethnic Corinthians who were quite proud of their status as residents of a Roman colony and who enjoyed using Latin. This may explain why Paul doesn't address theological differences. There weren't that any. The problem were ethnic divisions. The problem were all cultural divisions. The problem were all these external superficial divisions. The problem was ethnic division, Aramaic-speaking Jews, Greek-speaking Jews, Romans, and Alexandrians. See, it's easy to bring our biases, first, uh, we don't even recognize them, but to project them. Project them in your family, project them here in your church family or the body of Christ here, to project them at your gospel community groups, those of you or whatever groups that you have. So don't jump to conclusions. Check them out for accuracy. If you have an issue that's creating division, go directly to the source. Find out firsthand. Don't accept hearsay. Check it out. Make sure what you heard or what you believe is indeed true. 
And then I like this one because culturally I think we can all relate is give the person the benefit of the doubt. Have you heard this tension in culture right now about are we still innocent till proven guilty? Let's hold on to that within the church that the person is innocent. Go and find out if the information you have. Number two here, another uh, um, uh, thing that we can learn is welcome differentness as a gift. Uh, build up. Um, differentness, God designed differentness to build up, not to tear down. God designed differentness to strengthen, not to weaken. God designed differentness, and I think on the tail end of that, he knew that, okay, it's going to create a little tension in a positive way because it's going to drive people to something greater. That tension is the motivating force. Look at the very end of chapter 12 uh, where he sums up right before this great eloquent love chapter. And he tells them, but earnestly desire the higher gifts and I will show you a still more excellent way. Fight for unity because in that fight, what's going to emerge is a love more mature than what you have experienced currently. More excellent. That's where diversity, differentness can take you to love with a greater maturity. Now the fight, and we got to conclude here. The, the fight for unity is in your own mind. The fight is in your own mind. The fight is not out there with, with other people. Like I said before, let God take care of them. But the fight is uh, in your own mind. James 4.1, look what this tells us. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? It's usually about values, values that you have. Sometimes values that you haven't even checked out whether they're accurate or not, but you just hold on to so tenaciously. What we need to do is be able to take our values, put them on the table and look at God's values and then determine, God, are you calling me to surrender some of my values for the sake of unity and a higher value that you have given me? That's where the fight is. Am I willing to surrender? Am I willing to surrender for a higher value? I want to uh, conclude by just introducing, uh, some of us went to uh, Peacemakers, um, which helps train in reconciliation. We're called to have a ministry of reconciliation so I want to show this diagram that shows what they call is the slippery slope. And so real quick, and I know some may be listening, uh, not, they're not here, but on the radio. So we have a graphic up here. And think of it like a, a pitcher's mound uh, for you listening on the, uh, online. But um, uh, there, there's two sides to this mound. There, there's two sides. And this is how we often will face uh, conflict or uh, where we feel tension and a wall's going to go up. Or we want to be in the middle, and we'll come back to the middle. We, we, we want to be in the middle, but typically, because, again, we don't really work on maturing uh, a more excellent love. We don't work on that, so we end up, our emotions just drive us to one of these two sides. We'll either escape, and it describes it as denying. Oh, it's not a big problem. I'll just forget it, which is not, maybe not true. Uh, blame game and running away, okay? Or, or the reason they call it slippery slope, we, we tend to uh, uh, find ourselves just slipping that way. Or the other way would be is to attack on the other side, to put people down, to gossip or to fight. Okay, 
neither of those two approaches build unity. They don't accomplish what God has said that the church is to be about. It's that, that middle area where we are called to work it out. We are called to roll up our sleeves. But it first starts with the fight in our own mind to examine our own values. And so work it out. So one of the steps there uh, is to overlook an offense. The first thing to do is, can I overlook this offense? Thank goodness the scripture tells us about the importance of overlooking offense. Now, we're not talking about sin, objectifiable sin. That is clear. Okay, that's a different category. Most of the things we're talking about, like the uh, Corinthian church, were ethnic, were cultural, were preferences. First thing is to overlook, overlook an offense. You, I, I think, again, using uh, uh, my uh, home, uh, uh, if uh, every time Connie uh, saw a sock on the ground that was mine and it frustrated her, and she would say something, I'd have a nervous twitch right now. Okay, man, in the home, you have to overlook an awful lot that's not your preference. And hopefully it's on a good day when you can overlook it. Well, this is what we need to do in the body of Christ. we got to be able to overlook a lot for the sake of unity. And that's a good thing. Proverbs teaches about the importance of um, overlooking. Proverbs 19.11, a man's wisdom gives him patience. It It is to his glory to overlook an offense. Uh, I'm preaching to myself now, and any other man can receive this. Uh, scripture tells us to live with your wife in an understanding way. That means overlooking offenses, because you want to talk about differentness. But I already told you how my life has been enriched by uh, receiving differentness. Um, and then talk. Talk. It's okay to talk, but for some of you, you need to learn how to talk in a gentle way. Some of you, it's your way or the highway, or, or uh, you're just a bull in the china, china not the china cabin, the china store, whatever, this, whatever the saying is there. Okay, and then the last one is get help. Uh, so fight for unity, do your work, but some of you may to um, first understand yourself and the values that keep perpetuating uh, these walls. You need help. Don't be ashamed to ask for help. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We have folks who've gone through uh, peacemaker training for this very purpose. We have others because of their professions. They've been in these roles. They know how to bring two people together because the goal is not just to put a Band-Aid on it. The goal is not just to get by, but reconciliation. That both parties become healthier and stronger. That collectively we start to reflect Christ. That brings glory to God the Father. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the tools you've given to us, the resources, and you've given us really a laboratory right here that we have a chance to really... Uh, work on this thing of unity. We invite you to work it out in our church body, in our homes, and God, wherever we have influence in the community and work, all for the glory of God. In Christ's name, amen.